Johnny Forrester on the podcast. I introduced Johnny this morning, and I said, Johnny is the most connected guy I know in Nashville who doesn't live in Nashville. And I really, I think that's true. You got to be. Who's more connected than you who doesn't even live here? But that's the thing. Do I live here? I don't know. You tell me. Where's your clothing? Where's the majority of your belongings? It's scattered in between hotels and houses within the greater Nashville area and Santa Monica area. So you do not know if I am a resident here. Did I just give you away? Did I blow it? You did. That's why I'm covering up. You're covering up. Because the truth is, if you live here, you're like you're moderately connected. It's not that impressive. If you don't live here, it's, it's actually... First, it's my first time in Nashville, and it's, everyone's been great. It's so more far. impressive for how connected you are if you don't live here. No, I'm kidding. No. Um, I do not live here. I live in Santa Monica, but I spend at least a week every month, month and a half here. So Yeah. And what, you're just like hotels? I have a friend that I stay with, and I also have this one preferred hotel that's connected to a membership. Yeah, right, right. Right. Okay, the first time I ever... Are we starting this? Are we on? Are we live? We're, we're live. We're just talking. We're just talking. Right. First time I ever met Johnny was in his office, the penthouse. Where's the? It's in LA. Go up in the office. I'm in your office. There's no desk anywhere. There's a giant couch. And there's like three guys sitting around and we're just like hanging on the couch. But I was there for like three hours and we're talking about endless things. And Johnny goes, oh, you need this. Let me fire off this intro. Boom, boom, boom. He's on his phone, text, email, done, done, done. And I walked out of there and I'm like, holy shit, I got more done sitting on Johnny Forster's couch than, you know, I've done the past six months or whatever. Was that the design of the office? No desk, just couch. Everyone comes and hangs out and we get stuff done. Or, or is that, were you just like, I just want to be lazy and be on a couch? The penthouse came about, I'm in this building for over 20 years, and then the rooftop, which is like 2,500 square feet that overlooks uh, the Hollywood Hills and downtown LA, unobstructed views, it's like my own little private playground. I said, I'm getting this space, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I wanted to get more into film and television besides music. And I've had my studios on the fifth floor for so many years. I said, let's get this top floor. And I had a month to fill the space. So I filled it with some friends who were in film and television and production, as well as some label stuff and cannabis companies. And we just started a party of people who work together, who have synergies, who can pay me their rent, hopefully on time. And we develop things together, friendships, relationships, and you never know who's showing up on the rooftop. And it's exciting. And I want that to be my last office because I don't feel like I'm going into work. Where else are you going to go? Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville. But you design your specific office in the office. Yes. Has no desk and just a big couch. And like I was in there during Grammy week and there were like how many, four of us sitting on the couch. It's a fun day. Fun day. It's like four of us on the couch, no desks. It's like everyone's hanging out talking, and we're and we're all on our laptops, and weirdly, like, it all gets done. It all gets done. And you're happy. You're happy, right? Yes. Because I was talking to a buddy of mine who in New York, and he's like, we got to get space in New York where everyone can just come and hang, and there's, like, deal flow or whatever. It seems like the good way to do it. Otherwise, you're just in your own offices. Nothing gets done. Imagine in COVID when no one wanted to go into work and I was so excited to go into work because I had this rooftop where I can go and still conduct business. I could still have artists coming through. I could still have events if I wanted to because no one's gonna call the cops on me at least one time. But yeah, create your own world and hope it's productive, but have some fun. We're in the entertainment business, have fun. So how do you do that if you don't have an office? Everyone's getting rid of their offices. Not the penthouse. The penthouse is penthouse full. Penthouse is there. Penthouse is full. Uh, and it's a place to go where you can work, yes, and you can make your records, yes. But you're collaborating, you're meeting people, you're smoking great weed, you're drinking good booze, you're having cigars, you're seeing things, you're experiencing the fun part of being in the entertainment business. Last time I was there, we were talking about the way that you run a writer's retreat or a writer's camp, which is top secret. Can we give this away? You have a method for how you do a writer's camp, don't you? Yes, I've been to enough writer's camps 
to see how you get great people in a room together and you throw them in and go, we're looking for a new record. And that's great. But I have four studios going on at one time. And what I've developed is a way to do a lot of pre-production like you would in a movie before you shoot principal photography day one you got a script, you have character development, you know who the players are, what the strengths and weaknesses are. So I have a giant whiteboard. Uh, I get branding documents, investigating reporters, whatever I gotta do to get everything I need from the artist that's gonna be the focal point of the camp. And then we go and have meetings with the creatives that's gonna be there for the camp a week or two before it actually starts. Put them on a Zoom with the artist, ask a bunch of questions, but also have these branding documents that I've developed. That What's real- a branding document? Like, how do you develop one of those? So if I was going to do a branding document on Zachary Kuhn, I would basically ask relevant questions. Where are you from? What are your likes? What are the brands you like? What do you do? Are you a smoker? What do you like to talk about? What are your hobbies? Where do you like to go? So literally have two or three pages of adjectives about you. So then when someone who doesn't know you, they can say, all right, this guy's not a partier. He's straight about his business. He's on this hustle and deal flow. He's about connecting. That's a song that Zachary would sing if he's on stage. But if I have a song where you're doing mobbing out, doing some you know, heists and things like that, that's not you. So I can cut out a lot of people's wasted time by doing the work before the creative actually starts. Then I go in with the artist and I do my own deep dive and then come up with a lot of concepts that they would approve of. So now I know what I want to, to the creatives to invest into. We then go in and figure out the rooms and who are coming in. And that's the hard part because sometimes there's track makers, sometimes there's melody guys, sometimes there's this. Some kinds songs have the beat before the production or the session starts. Other times you're starting from scratch. So I got to know where to throw that artist to make sure they're in the room at the critical time so then they can jump to the other room and then jump to the other room and jump to the other room. And by the time I do this for three days, I have around 20 different ideas that the artist loves. That Wait, so instead of, the, instead of doing it so the artist is with a group of writers until they finish the song, you're having it where the, you've got these writers and the artist jumps from group to group to group and never stays. Don't you sometimes risk, though, that maybe like nothing gets done or that's not what you find? No, I, I, know who the, I know who these people are before they come in. Yeah. They know how I work. They're having a good time. There's lunches, there's dinners, there's parties, there's enjoying their time there at the penthouse for the creative. So they want to be there. I get a lot of people from Nashville always wanting to do it. But you think about it, say for one of these sessions, all right, these guys are track makers. They're going to come in with something already. You have to be in there, the artist, at that particular time of that session for the first hour. As soon as you get the idea and the melody going, you're jumping into someone who might have just created the track that day, but you'll get there on the latter part of that specific session. I'm giving you gold here, by the way. You are. This I mean, is gold. This is gold. Who does this? Who's nobody, doing this? Nobody. And honestly, it's it's like a, there's a great mix engineer named Dave Pensato, who's a good friend of mine in L.A., legendary mix guy. And he said, yeah, Johnny, no, they keep sending all these people from all over the world to come into my mix studios and get the dimensions and the equipment and this. I'm all, Don't you care? You're giving away the sauce. He's all, the sauce is in between my ears, Johnny. He's like, the sauce is in my ears, or between my ears. So, listen, all I'm going to do is get great creative people, have great artists who know how to sing, have something distinct, singular about that particular artist, and let's have fun making some music. What was, uh, what's the song that's come out of one of those camps? Like a Willie Jones song? Yeah, most of them, all of Willie's songs, a lot of Rashad songs. Come out of camps like that. Yeah, I mean, and now... What I'm realizing as I evolve, as the business evolves, that we can make a full body of work, an EP, in a week. And because I have my own label partners and distribution and internal short-form content teams and things of that nature, the best thing about what we're doing is we're releasing the songs we like quickly. So the volume game is the game. The feeding the beast of the algorithm is the game. So I know if I can make great songs with the squad that I have and friends who are also great musicians or producers, we can then say, all right, 
great, we're mixing and mastering this, and this one's coming out in four weeks, and that one's going to come out in eight weeks. And guess what? I'll see you guys back in six months, and that's the whole album cycle for the artists. And if the artists are hungry and have the balls to do this, we figured out a way to release great music and not play the long tail game of putting stuff out every you know two years. It's just not the business anymore. Right. Is every artist that you work with who has a label deal or a distribution deal, is that are they all JVs with the Penthouse? Like Willie is with Sony Music Nashville and then is he with the Penthouse? Or how does that work? Willie is signed to the Penthouse with a joint venture with Sony Music. So with Sony Music. So when you put a deal like that together, every deal you do is like this, right? Yes, because my added value is making the records. Uh, my added value is protecting the artist's integrity and their vision. And the way to do that is make the records. And if I have the facilities, the A&R background, the ability to get great musicians and producers and songwriters with these guys and then mix it with the best there is and master, I can compete. So that's my added value. So management is a, a component that has come from there which I'm passionate about, but in all honesty, I like making records. So when you do do those JVs and you pitch them like to Sony Music, hey, this could be a JV with the penthouse, do they buy into that or do you have to sell it to them that you're going to bring it enough value that's going to be worth it? Or do you feel like they would rather do it on their own, but the artists are so compelling or whatever that they decide it's worth partnering up with you? The key to it all. Yeah. Never sell. Never sell. They come to you when there's excitement. Yeah. It's kind of like... And then you call the shots. If you, I, I write down a piece of paper and some artists and clients that uh, usually fight with me because I'm very honest with them. Uh, I write down two words and I say, keep this in your wallet, keep this in your pocket. And those two words are leverage and options. And if you don't have either of those two, shut the hell up until you do. So I can go to, and it's years ago is different. We have relationships with these label heads or what have you. You can go in and go, I think this guy's great. I think she's amazing. And here's why I think. And I got the song. Those days are over. So we now know we can make the records. You go meet with the labels now and all they're preaching is short form content. So we have that internalized now. And now we can build these artists to a level where we can continue taking them on ourselves or we can partner with uh, a mothership that's gonna give us other services that we don't have. So each artist is different, but for what my strengths and what I love to do, it's making the record. So how are you involved? You sign the artist to your label and then add the value and show them that you add the value. And they're still getting great deals, so they're happy. Everyone wins. Everyone wins. Okay, so you signed Willie Jones. You signed him off of a tip. Like his girlfriend was a friend of yours who calls you yeah, and says, "Hey, I got this guy. You got to check out." Yeah, and and then and then and then what? So she's a friend of mine, and she I've known for years, and says, "I want you to meet my boyfriend." And I said, "You don't usually have boyfriends." And she said, "Shut up! I'm bringing my boyfriend in." And she brought in this guy. I go, "I thought you were bringing in a country music artist." And he's like, "Yeah, I do country music." And I'm like. Damn, I'm like, you look like the Marlboro man. I mean, I'm excited. I'm like, who are you? And he told me. And I didn't. Why'd res- she think that you had to met this, meet this guy? I'm, I'm that guy that just does <laughs> what he loves to do. And having Willie where he was at that particular time, probably a lot of people wouldn't take that bite. But I heard his voice and I said, whoa. And I saw him. I'm like, I want to hang out with you. And I just met you. So he had the it factor, electricity walking in the room. And you know when someone walks in, when heads turns or the energy gets sucked out of the room, he has that to the 20th degree. What he didn't have at the time was music, but he, I, I didn't know he was on the X factor. And I didn't know he had a half a billion this or what have you. But I heard and saw something and I go, I don't know if this is country music, but I love what you're doing. And I didn't have any expertise in country music at the time too. So... I said, what do you want to do? And I found out he was doing this tour. And I said, well, what music are you going to play at the tour? He said, I'm just going to do covers. And I said, well, hold on. I got studios and writers. Why are we doing covers when you can be doing original? And we made this whole project rather quickly. 
and then the tour never happened. What was the tour? It was like a headlining tour? He was, um, after X Factor, he got asked to go on this social media tour called uh, MadCon, Meet and Greet Con, with some of the biggest influencers, Viners of the day. And Willie wasn't an influencer, but he could sing. And they started it out of Shreveport, where he's from. So they called him up and got him out of bed. And next thing you know, he's hanging out with all these guys, and they love him. He's performing. So they were revitalizing that tour. And William Morris was putting the tour together. So I called him up, and I go, hey, this guy's in my office. Is this tour happening? He's like, yeah, actually, it is going to happen, and Willie is going to be part of it. So I said, okay, let me get on, get to work. So we made, like, an EP in a week and a half. With this writing camp method it was the incarnation of it but it was like you got this guy bring him in all right i got this guy i don't know what songs are here but we need more of this and we got to get his vocal better do you feel like like people write songs every day in nashville and that's what you gotta do like that's that's how you develop your muscle but i really believe in parkinson's law that like tasks expand to fill time given to them if you're like hey we need a record in, in what 14 days like how like how do you not get it done like i feel like people don't think like that but you, but you were like two weeks. That's plenty of time to get a record done. I mean, I how many see, songs was on that EP? Like six? Yes, or? five or six. Five or six. And what happened was the tour never happened, and I had a deal at the time with InGrooves Digital Distribution that Universal has since bought. But I said, I'm just, hey, I'm just gonna put this out at InGrooves and see what happens. And literally like a week before. At this beautiful place called the Penthouse, where a lot of creatives go and you mix together. You gotta go to the Penthouse. You can't even get in. But no. if you can get in, you gotta go. You gotta go. You and, gotta go. And guess what? There was this guy named Justin Hunt who worked for Empire and did like content creation. And he was on the patio and he wasn't smoking weed at the time, but he might have been. But he heard Willie's music coming out of my office where there's no desks, just couches. So he walked in and said, What the hell is that? I'm all, why? He's all, what is that? I'm all, this is an artist, Willie. I'm putting him out. He's all, hold on, man. Like, can you send me that? And like two days later, the Empire folk called and they said, hey, we want to do something with this. I'm all, do you have a Nashville division? They said, no. They're all, but we love this. This is different. I said, okay, so what's the plan? I was literally just going to put it out. I had no marketing commitment. And I said, oh, I'm getting this, this, and that. Can you help match that? He's all, we'll match it. I said, well, is Justin, the guy who brought it in, part of it? He's all, he can be your point person. I'm all done. So Justin got to help me develop this, and then we started making the record. Came to Nashville for the first time and literally had a publishing offer that day, and they wanted a label signing thing that day, which I couldn't do because I already had my label situation. But it led to myself and my client, Willie, coming to Nashville a week a month for around four to six months. And then the crazy mind of what I was witnessing and saw opportunities for ensued with a vehicle like Willie Jones, who's unique and a star, and people started believing in that. And the next thing you know, the greatest community of individuals in Nashville, Tennessee, opened up their doors to me and their hearts to me, and I became like a staple with these people that I've created my own little circle with, and now they're like my best friends in the world. But did they reach out to you? Because I've literally sat on your couch when we've called like on the phone, like let's just call him, boom, on the phone, emailed, texted, literally the most important people in Nashville, like the the top, top, the billboard power players, boom, like the guys. Did you did they all reach out to you or you identified some of them and reached out to them to try to get to know them? Like you you know everyone. No, what the thing is, passion and loyalty is very, very important to me. So the people who introduced me into the market I wouldn't say at the time were quote unquote the power players, but they had relationships and I could tell they were genuinely passionate about what I was trying to do. So they opened up some doors to me and those doors, I, people like being direct how I'm direct, people like the music that I was making. So I think that opened the doors and me coming back a lot and showing that, hey, I'm serious about this. I really believe in this artist first, then the marketplace as I was starting, then the the people here, I wanted to spend more time here. And that's kind of what has happened. And um, yeah, people saw a real opportunity in Willie that he was special. Do you really think having worked in LA and Nashville, do you really think that Nashville operates differently or the people operate differently? Or do you think that there's people everywhere and you just have to find the people and you can get anything done anywhere? No, Nashville has a culture of good people. Really? And you Absolutely, absolutely. 
I, I can right now, if I wanted to, probably stay at 100 people's houses for a month and they wouldn't even care. And you couldn't do that in L.A.? Well, maybe, but I've lived in L.A. my entire life, my adult life. Yeah, they accept you. They, they accept take you for it. granted. Absolutely. Yeah. This place is special. I, I actually I was telling someone earlier, um, very much how I went to Japan the first time. I started doing things in Japan and the people were so warm and they were appreciative too that I cared about their culture and the way they do business. And then I would say, well, can't we do it like this? And they would say, well, we don't, but I guess we can try. And that's kind of what I'm doing here in a way, in a small sense. I mean, my small level of success I've had here is just trying to figure out ways to do it in the way my business is set up and complement what already is the heritage of Nashville. Okay, so you're a manager. And, um, you know, we were talking this morning about a crazy situation. This manager put all this work into a project, and then the artist basically said, I'm not going to pay you, and, I, and I'm out of here, and, like, bailed. Does that keep you up at night that you develop, You put so much into, for lack of a better term, was basically you're building IP, you're building brands, you're building these stars, and then it's like a classic management situation. They could just walk out on you at any point. Yeah. Does that, doesn't that drive you crazy, or doesn't that keep you up? Everything you do in management is building someone else's brand. Right. Isn't, that, isn't that a bummer? That's why if you're partners with your artist and yeah. add value to them as a partner, that means if you are the label partner, then you can fire me. But at some point, I will still be involved in the, the time we spent together and the creative that I contributed to or my team contributed to will be part of that ongoing process. Yes, it's happened to me with major artists that I've worked with that they just wake up on the wrong side of the bed one day or someone's in their ear and say, I can do better, I can do more. And it's just human nature and I get that, grass is always greener. But if I'm making records with people and they love what we're doing, I'm part of that record. And that's where my heart is. The management thing is it's because it's a natural component to me. I like to come in and see what the opportunity is and connect the dots and I get excited about that. But it's not as mandatory for me as it used to be to be the manager anymore. Okay, fair enough. You going back a little bit. You produced. You what? What did you you produce the first online concert? I did with Macromedia at the time. How yes. do you know it was the first online concert? It really was. They told me that. And you believed them? I mean, we 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 sold it in to everyone, all the partners. Actually, they, I was working at Capital at the time, and it was. I just finished this George Clinton record, which was the first time I ever was an A&R guy. You did this big collaboration, like Greatest Funkin' Hits. That's it. George Clinton. That's it. You did this big collaboration record with like all these stars on it. Yes. So you did that record, and then you said, what, we got to do a live concert on the internet? No. You never have to sell. If it's great, they'll come to you. So they come to you, and they say, hey, what about... Yeah, they they came in. The what do you mean, though? I'm out here selling every single day. Am I not great yet? Wait, what? wait. You know what you need? You need the hundredth episode to be legitimate. Other than that, it doesn't matter. We already we we already oh, put out the hundredth oh, episode. Okay. We're done. Okay, then you're legit now. You're I'm legit. legit. That you're legitimized stamped. me. Stamped. That was it. You're stamped. Okay, so they come to you and they say, "Hey, what about doing this concert online?" Well, they were fans of George Clinton. They they did research and realized that George Clinton wasn't even signed to the label when I was there. We didn't have an urban music division at the time there, but I had the biggest rap stars in the business on this record. So they, the corporate people in Silicon Valley with Macromedia came in and said, we like this, but how do we do something that's culturally significant with an iconic artist? And they wanted George. So they came to me because they liked the record, and then I didn't know better, and I didn't know I had legal authority to do anything. And usually, How old were you? Like 20, 23? 23. Because you were the you were what the head of like innovation or business development or something. I what was, was your title? Uh, no, I, I started at twenty. My last job I had at Capital was a director of A and R and new business development. And you were like the youngest person ever hold that title. Yeah, as a right? director. I, yes, I I I was very 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 lucky to have great bosses when I started because after the second third day they realized that I wasn't going to be a good assistant. And they said, we're going to let you do what you do, but please don't like alienate your core responsibility, what you're supposed to. And they let me spread my wings. But yeah, at, at Capital, I was able to, to experience and grow as an executive very quickly because 
I was able to ask questions, put things in motion, and they would just show me how to get it done. So I learned at a very early age what all the divisions do, how a deal gets done, so I can do business affairs, I can go into a studio, and if it wasn't for those five years at Capitol, who knows what would happen. And then what else do you do? Because you marketed some pretty big projects for like the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix, like what was that, like catalog Yeah, so type back deals? in the day before you were born, Mr. Zachary, there was a thing called CDs, when they, oh, were, yeah. they were coming out and everyone at the labels were making a fortune because they were reissuing all these major... Right, so you had to figure out how to reissue these CDs and how we had to make a, them Our relevant. division of five or six people, and it wasn't like we did the work to blow these artists up back in the day, but that represented 90% at the time, all of the income for EMI, which was since bought by Universal. But we had Beatles and Sinatra and, and Pink Floyd, and like I kind of made a job for myself. Let's make that stuff cool to younger people. How do we do that? So once again, the, my, my bosses just said, what do you think? And we were doing stuff. And the creative vibes were there and the tower was buzzing and people were excited to have a job in the record business. And honestly, it was a great time to, to learn what the hell you do in the music business. So what would you do? Like you would say, hey, like this Beals album needs to come out. And then you no, would... I had no juice like that. But they would say the Beatles were different. I had a different responsibility and input in the Beatles stuff. Um, Sinatra, I had more involvement in. Um, Tina Turner stuff. Uh, who else? Bob Seger. We did some fun things. Jimi Hendrix. But the Beatles, they have, I mean, they were accounting for so much business and TV stuff that we were doing. I was involved with a lot of international markets based in the U.S. And the cool story was they did ask me to go smuggle the Beatles masters in from Heathrow. What do you mean? We were doing the release of um, Anthology, I believe it was, or one of those things. But they didn't trust FedEx to send the masters from Abbey Road to the plants here. Like the masters. The masters. Yeah, so they called me into their office, and I'm a little punk. And they're like, what are you doing this weekend? And I'm like looking at these, the president of the company, and I don't even know who they are. And I said, well, I'm playing golf in Palm Springs. They're like, no, you're not. You're leaving tomorrow to London. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, you got to get the Beatles masters here. We can't send a DHL. You can't check any bags. You can't let anyone know what you got, and you got to come home, and you got to come right here, and you can't travel with any package. Why wouldn't that guy himself have gone on the plane? That seems like such a monumental, huge job regarding some pretty significant history, like some pretty significant artifacts, and they sent you? No that, offense, Johnny. <laughs> you know, they said if you if you uh, ditch us and you go and try to like go to some Caribbean place, we'll find you. But, no, they they said that. Yeah, the, these guys were great people, but they actually didn't know what they were doing sending me because I it was I looked at myself trying to figure out why the hell I was going there, and I just remember they sent me to Abbey Road, and they're like, "Look at how big of the box of masters are." And like, you got to go now and buy a suitcase. And I said, "You're gonna give me a tour of Abbey Road first? And they're <laughs> like, "Yeah." So they I was playing the Hammond Organ, and this is there, and blah blah blah. And, it was a great private tour. And then literally I got the masters in a bag and went into my hotel room. And then I went to bed and then my whole office called, no, you missed your flight. You missed your flight. And I, they woke me up in the middle of a stupor and I was all scared. Um, but yeah, checked the, they, I couldn't check the bag. So I told them I had to fly Virgin first class. I got a massage in Heathrow, had the bag, flew back with the Beatles masters and if the IRS is coming to get me, I worked at Capitol Records at the time, so it was nothing on my personal uh, unclaimed inventory. That could go back to Universal at this point. Wait, so you deliver the the Masters. This is what I don't get. If I was on that job, I'd be thinking i got to pick up the Masters and i got to head straight back and catch the flight. You just missed the flight with the Beatles? Masters? I didn't miss the flight. They were messing with me. Oh, they were messing yeah, with you. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, they were messing with me, so they scared the crap out of me because I thought, you know, the, the whole country with the u.s was is the biggest music market especially for the beatles and they it was like 60 million dollars worth of billing about to happen no you missed the flight you missed the flight I'm like, <laughs> oh my god and then what'd you do with sinatra uh uh sinatra there was an 80th birthday of frank sinatra's um it was a special and it was on abc or cbs at the time and that was airing on a thursday 
And because my bosses let me do whatever I wanted to do when I was at the label, I made relationships with every sports team. So the NBA teams, NFL teams, NHL teams. Who'd you meet? Like, who'd you have the relationships with? I called the marketing heads and I said, who's in charge of in-music play at the arenas as well as the videos? And, oh, who are you? I'm, I'm about to send you all the Beatles music you want, all the Tina Turner stuff. I want, I'm going to send you all these CDs. They're all, really? I'm like, yeah, but can you play that there? And then when we have certain things to promote, can you help? And they, I mean, I, I built this network. And then the opportunities came to do meet and greets and, and national anthems. So then the country world found out at Capitol that I was doing that. They were calling me to, it was, I mean, Trace Atkins at the time. They're like, you don't know us, but I'm the president of Capitol Nashville. And we heard your name. Can you help us get a six city tour or anthem here? So I built this thing. Anyway, I had these relationships with the teams. So I thought, why don't we have different NFL players sing different lines of my way? So I sent out, there were dats at the time to the teams because I knew they had their video crews. And I go, I want Junior Seau to sing this one. I want Drew Bledsoe to sing this one. I, the stars of every team. And no one sang no for Sinatra. Yeah, right. So I got them all back and I got a call. Mind you, I have no, I, I didn't have an office. I was a young kid and they, the head of ABC television are you the guy doing the Sinatra thing? I said, which thing? He's all the, with all the teams. I said, yeah. He said, what are you going to do with all that? I'm, I don't know, but I'm trying to figure out. I think it could be cool if we do this, that, and the other, but I was actually hoping to get a hold of someone for Monday Night Football. He's all, well, I'm in charge of Monday Night Football. I go, my dream is to have the commercial promoting the Thursday Night Special use these pieces, but include the CD cover of what I have. He's like, well, this is all your stuff. I mean, everyone, you kind of own this. I go, okay. They're all, can we see all the content? I sent it all. It wasn't called content then. It was called videos. Long story short, if I can make it short, I was watching Monday Night Football by myself in Marina Del Rey in my apartment. And there was, from the start of the kickoff to the end of the show, was a Frank Sinatra commercial because there were three or four spots uh, going into halftime. that We did something at halftime with the United Way. I had fans holding up signs. And then at the end of the telecast, they took every player and did the montage from the beginning. Happy 80th, Frank, we love you, special, there's the CD cover. So mind you, that's a couple million dollars worth of advertising. And did they love you or, or weirdly, because I've heard stories like this that people have told and the boss come, calls them into the office and like chews them out for some weird reason. Like, did they love you or, or did they get mad at you? Well, they, the, the, the pronoun they, is they a pronoun? That's, that's the, um, the question. I came back to the office on the next day and this lady was looking around the corner. And I go, can I help you? I was, you know who Johnny Forster is? And I knew she worked for the president. I said, I think he's somewhere around. <laughs> I said, what's up? He said, he needs to come up right now to the president's office. I go, I, I'm John. She'll come with me. And I'm scared. I'm like, you know. What I, the fuck? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Easier to ask for you know, forgiveness and permission. So I walk in, and there's the president, the CFO, the head of business affairs, the general manager, the guy the catalog team reports to. And are you Johnny? I'm like, yeah. So did you do that? I go, what? They're all, did you do that? I go, I, you know, I get to do a lot of different things here. Can you be But more you sp- knew what they were talking about, Of course, about, right? I knew <laughs> what they were saying, cause, but they could have said something. Did you go and do that with the NFL without getting permission from Frank Sinatra? I'm like, yes. He's all, why would you do that? I'm, all, I'm in the marketing team. I'm supposed to help get Frank's music out. I'd be freaking out though. Are you not freaking out? Or you're you're playing it cool? I'm I'm, I'm playing stupidly cool but, but shitting in my pants. Yeah, you're like, oh, cuz I'm fired. Now, now, I'm, I'm fired. In my mind I'm fired. Yeah. Yeah. And my, I mean it's Frank Sinatra. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, who told you to do this? I said, nobody, but I thought it came out great. We got free advertising on that. So we understand that, but you can't go and do anything with artists like Frank Sinatra on that level without permission. Who got you permission to clearance of the songs? I'm like, permission to clear the songs? And they shake their head. And I'm like, is there anything else? And then the big imposing guy became a, one of my very close friends after, but he was my boss's boss's boss at the time. He smiled. He's like, 
Frank fucking called the tower today. I'm like, okay, and I didn't know. Did he not call the tower? Like, so he hasn't called here in 40 years. I'm like, okay, so it's the best fucking thing that tower's ever done for me. And I said, so I'm not fired? And they're like, no, but you got to go have lunch with the head of the estate right now and Frank's daughter. So I literally went to the Warner Brothers lot, and she was making me lunch and tell me about yourself you know daddy this daddy that. and i'm like oh my god she's talking daddy about frank sinatra and like, you know whatever we can do for you and i go can i get a fedora <laughs> they said no but i ended up getting this beautiful sign thing that's in my office and it's like when there's ever there's an earthquake in la that's what comes running down the office with me well why did you have to get lunch with the daughter did they just wanted to meet you or they the, just wanted... the estate yeah they basically you know you don't realize you're doing something that's important. I was just doing it because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And I thought, hey, I have these relationships here. If I can do this here. And, you know, I also know sometimes if I do ask permission, I'm going to say no and I'm going to get in trouble or it's going to work. And at that time I was young. I didn't have too many other responsibilities. So I said, this is dope. And I watched that. I remember my feeling sitting in that couch going, oh, my God, it's actually happening. <laughs> it's happening. And figured 16 NFL players, whatever it was, all coordinated with no, like, it was just they wanted to be part of it. Oh, my God. What a story. You're a story. You're a story. No, okay. you're a story. Okay, so then what do you do after you leave the label business? And then what do you do? You start with your brother, a like a video game sync company, or you start placing music in video games? Is this piece about johnny forrester or are we talking about anything else is this like a fluff piece for me are you just are you serious right i'm now? genuinely just curious about your life i appreciate that i don't know anything about you because i was in that division at capital that had a lot of clout because of the money we were making for all the artists i also got to understand how you know contracts work because the people there were teaching me this one gentleman from the international department walked in and said, hey, you're going to know what to do with this guy. I'm, I don't know what to do. I'm like, what is it? He's like, he's part of this company, Electronic Arts. EA. So, so yeah, EA. So a guy comes in. He's like, Johnny, can I spend some time with you? Once again, I don't have an office, so come sit at my cubicle. Sure. And he said, I work at Electronic Arts, and I work on this game called FIFA. I'm like, is that the soccer thing? He's like, yeah, it's a pretty big game for us. I'm like, okay. What's up? He's like, we want to get music in the games. I'm like, oh, cool. I said, do you offer the labels marketing, you know, opportunities within the game or event marketing or some? Can you take any of these artists to like the World Cup? He's like, no one's ever asked us that before, but yeah. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. He's like, can you help us get music? I'm like, yeah. Like, what kind of stuff? And he said this. I'm like, sure. He's like, what do you charge for that? And I'm Jewish by nature. <laughs> So when someone says, what do I pay you for doing the stuff that you're going to know for free? You throw a number out. And then when they say yes, you go, damn. I mean, that's for the front end. But we ended up doing uh, the first FIFA game. And this one, music was not prevalent in the games yet because they didn't have the technical capabilities to have that much information in the games. There was a, a year before a big video game called Road Rage, which some people may remember, but it was one of those games that had a lot of music in it. But all the music was okay, but they had to pay royalties. So these games were getting, were paying these labels millions of dollars for songs that never went more than anywhere. Yeah. anywhere. And they're like, we don't really want to pay royalties. I'm like, okay. I go, but can't you offer these marketing things and still have, I mean, you, you sell a lot. Of, what's your budget? And they tell me the budget. I'm like, let me see what I can do. And I went and I said, uh, here's some sauce. What I did, I basically took these songs that I wanted in the game. And I go, right, this one's on this label. This one's on this publisher. This one's here. This manager has all those artists. I'm going to go meet with the manager. And I walked, I'm like, wouldn't this be cool if you can get this and that? He's like, let's do it, Johnny. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. I'm like, can you help me get this? He's like, done. Don't worry about it. I'm like, are you sure? So, yeah. So each person got signed off, and I had all these artists that were humongous artists that did it for buyouts. There was marketing tie-ins, and the game blew the fuck up. And it sold another half a million units than the year before. Yeah. And I licensed the music from the game into a commercial and EA didn't know what the hell happened. So they're like, why did this game do this? 
And they go, it's that guy at Capitol. So they flew me up to Vancouver and they took me to Whistler and we got a, you know, a parade basically. Why did you not become Steve Schnurr? Why did you, you not get that job? It's a very interesting question. That should be probed, right? That should be thought about. That's a prober. That's a prober for sure. Here's the real answer to that question. So I went up and I was the head of music supervision for uh, the first game was FIFA. Then I got the World Cup game too. I got Need for Speed. I got uh, NHL. I got NBA Live. I had around six or seven games. Were you doing this full time? Was this like an agency or this was like a side thing? Well, what I did was I still was at Capitol doing what I was doing. And then there was no email at the time. So licenses, especially European stuff, I had to have someone do the license. I actually drafted the first licenses for music video game placements with EA. And I used my business affair guy, guy upstairs at Capitol was helping me. He's all, we can do it like that. Let's just see what happens. And that started the music licensing division within EA. And they asked me, they wanted me to be exclusive. At the time, Sony PlayStation saw that I was doing these games and a girlfriend of mine was in marketing goes, hey, can you do this for us? I go, sure. And then someone who left Capital went over to Activision and goes, hey, you're doing all these, can you do this for us? I said, sure. Yeah, so right. now I had all three of them and I was their exclusive music supervisor. And then one day they read that Snoop was in one of my games. He was also in, like, we wanted that song in our game. I'm okay. They're like, your exclusive music supervisors are for No, I'm your exclusive. <laughs> you know, I, I can still work. And they're like, well, Johnny, we, we need that, uh, you know, exclusivity. And they asked me to move to Vancouver for EA. And I said, I, I got these artists signed. I'm doing this. I just left that. And uh, I didn't take the job. And then six months later, EA Sports opened in Marina Del Rey. And I called my friends up. I'm like, you didn't know that the headquarters were going to be down here and I could have stayed down here? And he's like, we couldn't tell you. So um, I ended up keeping a couple more of those clients. And then they internalized the functions I was doing as an A&R supervisor clearance guy. They now have huge staffs. But back in the day, it was myself and my brother. Uh, I was getting stacks of CDs like this. And I listened and watched the games. And I would see how I made the budgets. And... Yeah, we ran a shit ton of music supervision for the games. What does your brother do? Is he in the music business? He was a lawyer. Uh, he went to Pepperdine Law, and he was just my, my road dog. And I'd go, I can't handle this. I don't know. We had a licensed Chumbawamba for some big game. And I'm like, this is in Germany. you got to fax these people at like 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, So it was that type of shop we had set up. But we got it done. God, I love that. Yeah. Love that story. There you go. Oh, my God. Okay, so now you're Mr. Penthouse. No, I was not Mr. Penthouse. No, no I'm saying now today. Oh, today I'm Mr. Penthouse. Yeah. Talking about today. You got to keep up here, Johnny. Please. Today you're Mr. Penthouse. You're managing Willie Jones and Rashad. You have a handful of other artists as well. You manage producer, writer, management. And, uh, and like, what's happening with Willie Jones and Rashad? Like, how are, how are they going to take over? I think they have their own unique place within not only country music, but music in general. The They're on tour together. It's it's kind of like a proud father seeing both of them on the road together supporting Do each other. Do they call you complaining about the other? And Never. Uh, never. No. And honestly, because Willie has his own show on Apple Radio, Rashad really looks up to Willie as one of his mentors, as he's opened the door for him for a lot of things that he wants to do. And Rashad streams so well and is so self-contained and has built his own audience and is true to who he is more than, like, most artists I've ever met. It's great to see them both having their trajectories, but they both have, they both have their own paths as well. So it's, it's what? How, how do you manage them? What, what's, what's the, like, if you had to sum up the job in a sentence, what is it? It's just, like, getting people to talk about them or it's, uh, or it's keeping the wheels running or, it's like, like, what's the role? Management for me, I usually say this half jokingly, but it is is kitty litter. I'm kitty litter. What does that mean? That I clean up the shit and make it smell good. That's kind of what I do for a living. The, that's the management side. I mean, it's connecting the dots. It's putting them in the right relationships, in the right optics for them. 
it's making sure their music's great. It's making sure they're confident in themselves and the vision and the plan we're going with. And there's missteps and there's problems and there's pandemics and there's bad girlfriends or husbands or what have you. But the reality is make great friggin' songs. Find it out. Find out who your fans are and just go. Yep. Okay. In private, you've told me a couple stories about times when you've like hacked the system or you've like worked people to kind of get what you want i never said that never said that manipulation is not manipulation is is not a thing but you've told me some great negotiation stories of ways you've negotiated different things all brilliant anything we can share is there one story we can share about a time when you really hacked the system made it all work we got some good ones here already but give us one more i actually i'm writing we have a movie that we're doing but i'll fill fill you in the path one of the things it's 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 in the movie too that's going to come out but one of the things i had a boy band and they were an independent boy band which never really works but i hacked a system on how to get them fans by performing so there was two hacks with them one is i created an anti-bully tour that didn't really exist but we provide an anti-bully assembly for schools for free and each member of the band had their own story to tell to the whole class. And at the end of each free assembly, we do a 15-minute concert and pass out flyers saying we're performing at the mall on Saturday. And I rinsed and repeated that with these guys. You know, sometimes we did 10 schools in a week. So imagine no one knows who you're at on a Monday, and Saturday there's a 1,000 kids paying money for merch to see this stuff. And what was we, the name of the band? I don't want to say. Um, just it, it ended miserably for, for a lot of reasons, and I refused to align myself with that. But the hack was we built an audience in pop, sugary boy band land by actually doing shows, and we made money in that. And we ended up doing a deal with Sony uh, for, for, for Asia. But another thing we did on that is I got the song to Sirius XM, and Sirius XM said, well, a way we're going to keep them on is if when the songs are played, the Shazams from the audience know. So I knew when the songs were going. And I had all these fans, the girls across the country, I had siloed in each major market. There was like a head of the, of the fan club, and then they had 10 other people that were supporting that particular head of the the fan club, anyways, I'd say, all right, on Tuesday night at 6.45 Central Time, the song is being played. Shazam it. You, you got to go to the Apple stores, and you got to walk around and say, Siri Shazam, Siri Shazam, Siri Shazam. And this worked? Worked. We were number one. Is this a band that, if you did say, would we know this band? Maybe, but I'm not saying. Okay, fair enough. Yes. Okay, last thing in our final moments. Johnny is a uh, children's book author. He's got a book out right now called The Bird and the Bee, which is about acceptance. It's just about how we all have to get along. Get along. Get along. And uh, it's beautifully illustrated. Who did you find to illustrate this? You found... Her name is Yulia, and I found her during COVID on a website, and she's from the Ukraine, and she's never done a book before. She's a just character drawer in her, her bedroom, and uh, probably the most gorgeous children's book anyone who has a child just go online and i guarantee you there's never been a book that has been illustrated more beautifully than the bird and the bee by johnny forster and, and what's happening with it it's going well yeah it's going great simon and schuster published uh how do you get a deal with them how do i publish a book i always feel like you gotta be somebody to publish a book I'm now t- you manage somebody if you're if you're over a hundred podcasts you're somebody I'm a somebody. You think I could get a book deal? I, look at you. I have an idea for a book that I want to write. Let's go. You think I could do the deal? I know you can do Think. There's Wait. no... What? 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 Look at you. Uh, look at are you, you kidding I, me? I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to... Next episode, I'm going to interview you on what you've done and what you're able to do in a short period of time by the gumption and your brain and the hustle. You're... You're the big mitzvah, not I'll, me. You're look, the big I'll mitzvah. I'll take the praise, but it's about Johnny today. But but what? So you sign the deal, you write the book. How long does it take you to write the book? No, not at all. Just like I told you, don't sell. Don't sell. So what'd you do? You wrote the book? I wrote the book. I got Well, I got kicked out of my house because I got COVID because I came to Nashville three times during COVID. And, oh, boy. And my wife said, you're now on the couch at the office. So I decided I'm finishing the book. 
and I wrote it, went online, spent a day and a half finding a bunch of illustrators, narrowed it down to 10, sent them the two main characters. I paid all of them, and this beautiful woman from the Ukraine, which my grandparents are from, before they were invaded by Russia, she was the one I chose and started this wonderful, beautiful relationship with this woman. And uh, she, she made this book. And since then, subsequently, I've developed it into a TV show. And she's revised the book to accommodate my deck for that. And we're off to the races. Can't keep up. Can't keep up. But well, that's how you got the publishing deal? Did they approach you for the no, publishing deal? No, what happened was I was going to self-publish it because I wanted to develop it into a TV show. So instead of me writing a 110-page uh, script, someone said, you should just write a children's book. I'm like, I, I got 20 children's books from my daughter. You know, I'm trying to have her learn how to read. And I said, I can do this in a week. And then it took me 10 months. But by the time it was done, uh, my friend's like, what are you going to do with this? And I said, I'm going to self-publish. I mean, I need 20 copies. I'm already meeting with CAA and this agency and this animation house. And he's like, hold on. I got an email back. We're Simon Suster. We we would love to publish this book. And that was it. Sometimes that's how the world works. All right. And on and do they give you an advance or what happens? They just you know, distribute it. I'm under a, it. a tight NDA on on the deal terms of my book deal with Simon and Suster. But, no, ne but needless to say, amazing opportunity for someone who's never written a book to have a book, and guess what? My daughter learned how to read. From the book, taught her what how to read. What else is there in life? That's what else? A, that's it. You gotta read the book. If you're listening to this, you gotta check out The Bird and the Bee, Johnny Forster, and you can go to thepenthouse.life. .life, because it's about life. It's about life. Celebration, l'chaim. L'chaim. Penthouse was taken. Was that the... the pen? <laughs> no, I got the penthouse, and then I got the penthouse.life. You are like, that's better. But here's this, true story. I had to get, for my trademark, I had to get the Penthouse magazine to approve my trademark to be able to work in the fields that I'm doing. And you got it? It's all about having a very good attorney, shout out Christian Barker, and uh, you know, doing something wholesome that also borderlines debauchery, like what is the ethos of the original Penthouse magazine. There's you know, just the celebration of the music industry through my company. So they felt, why not give this guy a shot? Give this guy a break. Let's go. My God. He's been walking through the desert for 40 years. Let's give go. Give this guy a break. My <laughs> goodness. Johnny Forster in the, on, in the Chase studio on the podcast. I love this man, by the way. You guys have a national treasure right in front of you. Watch what happens with this guy over the next five years. Mark Watch my what words. Watch what happens with this guy. Hey, I'm, this I'm guy's already, already here. I, I'm, already, I'm already on my precipice of figuring out how to you know, go fishing every day. You, my friend, you're the, you're the guy. Trying. Trying to be the guy. Johnny, thanks for coming on. Anytime, buddy. See you next time. Bye-bye now. Bada-bing. Bada-bing, Johnny.